BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, Blaster fans, it is April 28th, 2016, and this is episode 23 of Who Won the Week, a podcast dedicated to the top stories from the week in geek. I'm Aaron Sagers, editor-at-large of Blaster.com, and as always, I am joined by my cohorts. Right to my left is... Right to your left. That was good. <laughs> He's Adam Swiderski, editor-in-chief of Blaster.com. Sharon <laughs> Martinetti, managing editor of Fangirls. Danny Roth, still not Doctor Who's companion. Uh, someday. Not yet. It, it'll happen soon. It'll happen soon. It's okay. There, 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 there. I've Not seen you. Canyon. I've seen you run for your life, and you're very good at it. No, I just had to go to the bathroom. Oh yes. well, there you go. Really yeah, badly. Well, today we're going to be talking about a whole range of topics, including, as Danny teased, Doctor Who, Game of Thrones, and also a bit of controversy involving whitewashing in Hollywood. But before we get to those topics, let's just start things off with what's going on in your world. Who is winning your week? Share. Um, well, my friend's son has, like, every Lego Star Wars kit on the planet, and he just got the, um, the, the Jawa transport, the big, giant, huge—this thing has 3,000 pieces in it. So now I, I want all the Lego Star Wars, because these look amazing. That's my big thing. Okay, Adam. E.T. the Extraterrestrial won my week. I've been on a kick with watching older things, and then E.T. is on Netflix now. Um, and wow, is that a great film. I could do a whole podcast just about yeah, that movie. Yeah, Danny and I were tweeting a bit about this this weekend back and forth, but it is just, I mean, Spielberg just directs the hell out of it, mm. and it's its so interesting in, in light of the way movies are now because it's pretty straightforward. Um, you know, even the, even the ostensible bad guy, Peter Coyote, is the government agent trying to check out E.T. He's not really bad. Mm-hmm. You know, he just wants to talk to the alien. So it, it's it's but it's such a good movie and I was very well reminded of that watching it this weekend. Mm-hmm. Fun fact: When Elliot calls his brother "penis breath," I actually uh, started calling my brothers that, and it would get me into a lot of trouble as a young tyke. So uh, that's my own personal takeaway from ET. How about you, Danny? Uh, it's the Flash. Actually, uh, I am really curious about who uh, is behind that Iron Mask. Um, and I don't know who it is, and I feel like I watch so much TV that I always know, and it's kind of nice yeah. not knowing. No guesses. Uh, I don't, I really, I honestly don't know who it is. I mean, like, I've heard a million different things. I mean, I don't think it's going to be, I mean, it could be, could be Barry from the future, because he did the whole thing where, like, somebody kills their future selves, that being, uh... Hunter Zolomon, mm-hmm. I guess, killed a different version of himself. So it could be like something like that. Someone in the comments wrote Rip Hunter, and I was like, what? That could be kind of cool. I don't know. There's cool. just a really long list. Pretty much, no matter who they put in there, I think I'm going to probably be interested. So, mm-hmm. all right. Like in well, that flash. Well, today, I don't know if you guys know this, but we are recording this podcast on National Superhero Day. Happy National Superhero Day. Seems like just. 
last year. Uh, it's rolled around so quickly. Uh, and I actually want to talk about a superhero, Batman, specifically a superhero creative team of Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. They uh, are now departing the Batman series after 51 issues. And it's incredibly noteworthy because this creative team, they are the biggest takeaway off of the um, the New 52. They're the longest-running team on that, and this book has been consistently the best-selling book for DC and one of the best-selling books out there, period, comic books. And uh, it's just one of those runs that's really gained a lot of mainstream attention. Um, Wall Street Journal and Washington Post just uh, yesterday, when the issue dropped, uh, send off some nice fond farewells. They've been featured in Entertainment Weekly and um, and uh, the New York Observer Cultural Magazines. And I think the thing that's really notable about these guys is that you know, a lot of us out there in the mainstream, if you're not a big comic book fan, you may know Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. But it's these creative teams that go for an extended period that really provide the lifeblood and the, um, you know, really enhance the spirit of these characters. And they've also inspired, I don't know, their work has appeared on Gotham. It influenced uh, uh, Zack Snyder's Batman outfit before he wears the Frank Miller Batman outfit. So this is just sort of a really big deal in comic books. So um, Well, that's what I was going to ask as we were talking about this before. What about, and I'm not having read the run myself, what about this run really captured your imagination, like story-wise, design-wise, anything well, that jumped out? they created iconic villains that are new classics, modern classics, such as the Court of Owls. They reintroduced and redefined the Joker as a real threat, a real psychotic threat. They uh, retold, this was kind of a gutsy move, but they retold Batman's, um, or Bruce Wayne's, uh, taking up the mantle of Batman, retold that story, and added their own spin to it. And, you know, the fans have responded uh, multiple times and in, in kind because, again, this is the such a critically lauded and commercially successful comic book run. And I would say that it is really seminal. It's really one of those runs that's going to be ranked up there with uh, Dennis O'Neill and Neil Adams' run. I can't wait for them to make a, a Court of Owls movie. I think they will one day, and I think it's going to melt our collective faces off. Well, they've already shown up in the animated. But universe, I mean, like, right? I think yeah. I think they'll make a live action some sunny day. They'll do one where it'll be that, or maybe they'll some find, somehow find a way to do a Mister Bloom thing without mm-hmm. maybe Gordon being Batman. But like, that's a that's another brand new villain that they introduced that Mr. I thought Bloom, was yeah. really scary, really interesting. Yeah, and and it's just amusing that well, interesting that so quickly it's already been. Um, introduced five, into five the years, Gotham, yeah, yeah, five years, and it's in the Gotham TV series, and I don't know, it's, um, I think it's a big deal. So my my hats off to uh, Capullo and Snyder. Uh, fond farewell to you guys, and also if you head to Blaster dot com, you can read an interview with those two gentlemen as we send them off. So that's who was winning my week. Uh, so last week we spoke about the premiere of Game of Thrones. I think. Uh, Adam, Danny, myself, were very excited about that heading into it. And now the premiere has happened and the season is off to us a, a start. Adam, what did you think about the premiere? How did it deliver for you? I liked it. It's, it kind of follows a lot of the same patterns that Game of Thrones season premieres do, which is that you get a lot more setup than you get incident and story moving mm-hmm. forward. Um, but I liked the setup. It was it was good to be back. I mean, it's it's with this show being only once a year, you know, ten episodes once a year. You kind of I, I missed it. I missed mm-hmm. I missed uh, Westeros very much. So uh, 
it was it was cool. And I thought, you know, there were some really good moments in there. I guess spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen the episode by this point. But, mm-hmm. you know, Brienne saving uh, Sansa and Theon was great. Um, I love Arya's blind training that's going on, blind assassin training. Uh, She's like the daredevil of Westeros. I was going to say, she should Not really quite. seek out a career in law. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, did you guys see it? Did you watch the episode? Yeah. Okay. I watched it. And I know you're not a big uh, Game of Thrones fan, but uh, what was your take on it? Actually, I liked it. And I think the fact that maybe because we're not, the show is not synced up with the books and I haven't read the books. I don't know. I feel like now it's more of an even playing field. It's like nobody really knows what's going to happen now. So maybe on some level it makes it easier to be into a show when you don't feel like people already know so much more than you. Like, I don't know. It's weird. Like, I always felt like kind of just not as invested probably because I didn't read the books. And I know a lot of people, when they started watching Game of Thrones, went back and read the books. And I think that definitely adds a layer to it because you have much more knowledge and more of a connection to the characters and the source material. But um, I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, Yeah, I want to see what happens. I thought there was a pretty interesting ending. I don't want to give it away. Oh, no, we can talk about it. I think we can talk about it. At this point. And it is interesting because at the end of the episode, Melisandre is revealed to be sort of this old hag she removes her her collar it made me think it made me think of two things she's Uh, becky with the good hair it made wow could totally be made me think of beyonce but that wasn't what i was thinking of before obviously that too uh i was thinking of uh the witch which came out um because they also had a naked old uh woman in it and i thought that there's something kind of effective about that imagery but then i also thought of uh the 1994 uh, Brendan Fraser classic Airheads, mm. and I was like, ah, naked pictures of B. Arthur. I don't know why that's where my brain went. Because it's hot. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, that's yeah. actually big ups to you, B. Arthur. That's a trope that, uh, or not a trope. It's really like a theme that is. It's touched on a lot in folklore. Yeah. The magic, you know, creature that appeals in a very pleasing shape. Right. The idea of a glamour is and a glamour. Yeah. So uh, that kind of thing is is pretty fascinating, and it is an interesting point. Something that I mentioned offline about what is sort of a spoiler for book fans now because you don't know what's going to be happening moving forward and nobody really has that edge. Adam, I know that you read the books uh, and moving forward, are are you watching these episodes thinking like, ooh, something's going to potentially be spoiled? Because they are, they have said that they are looking at some of his, at George R. R. Martin's um, story outlines. So are you looking at this saying, Ooh, I might be spoiled for the books here. Yeah, and I have I have friends who actually have checked out of the show for that very really? reason. Really? Yeah. This is exactly what I was going to wonder is if this is going to maybe be the lowest rated, less viewership this year maybe just because of that alone. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's such a big fan base for the show that people that I mean maybe read, not yeah. an appreciable amount, but I'm curious to see how it's going to stack up ratings. Yeah, wise. Mm-hmm. I mean I'm I'm still in. I'm still watching and I'm going to just kind of live with whatever they spoil. Nah, man, the they they killed Dr. Julian Bashir already, man. I know. Already, I was yeah. so bummed. I was like, come on, dude. Deep, Space, like, Deep Space Nine, you got to keep that rolling. They literally had to kill off that plot line, though, because that was the worst something, part yeah, of season it, five. It, I know. It just did not click. Yeah. It didn't connect. And um, But he got like three minutes of screen time yeah. in this episode. It's like I, I thought there was going to be build up to it, yeah. and they were just kind of like, nope, he's yeah. gone. Just yeah, wrap yeah. that up and uh, get rid but of it. But I that. had the same thing. I was like, no, Bashir. <laughs> oh. I have to say, too, like, I, I've read a lot of interviews with them. What's the actress's name again that plays Sansa? Sophie, Sophie Turner. 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 Okay. There it is. I forgot what her Jean last Grey. name was. Um, exactly. But no, I've read a lot of interviews with her 
lately. And I think this is why I'm starting to be more interested in the show because what I've read in her interviews, I just like how she presents herself. So now I like that actress, which is making me like somebody on the show. And that was always my problem with Game of Thrones was I didn't really like any of the characters. I mean, I like... You, you know, should watch the Maisie Williams I, interviews. Yeah, she's great. She's well, yeah, bomb. her too. Like, I saw some stuff with her, like, since, you know, the end of last season. And I'm like, I don't know, I kind of, I like the way they are. So it's making me interested in watching them play these characters because they're obviously vastly different from the characters they play. Same with Peter Dinklage, but I feel like that's everyone's favorite. So <laughs> one know? point that's kind of come out of this premiere is that this was a very uh, female-forward episode the the female characters really took center stage and had a lot of lot to do the question that i have is do you think that that was a response to season five or that was their plan all along i think this was sort of their plan all along and i'm a defender of these showrunners but what are your takes on well this, i'm not Danny? sure that it's n- n- not so much like an attack to say maybe they heard people and it had some impact. Okay. I don't know that that's a a bad thing. It's certainly a tightrope that mm-hmm. you have to walk if you're going to try and be influenced by your audience. That's a very tricky. We talked about the yeah. hundred and all that, all the consequences that come of that. So you do have to be very, very cautious. But I do wonder if perhaps um, that was a thing because I mean, I would say the Daenerys storyline in that pilot. It was like she gonna get raped, and they're like, "Nope, technicality, no rapes for you." Mm-hmm. It just seemed like I don't know. That show usually just goes right for the fucking rape button, and they were like, "Not, ah, not this time." Has anyone? Has they anyone? Do, what I want to know do, is, though. has anyone coined the term Brothraki? Nah. <laughs> Because that's what I was thinking mm. is, is, is that you got the two Dothraki who are like leading her to prison. They're like, eh, I'm going to do her and I'm going to do this to her and everything. And I was like, man, these, this is the most brotastic thing I've ever seen. <laughs> mm-hmm. But didn't the, um, the showrunners say specifically that nothing that was said by fans has influenced anything with this season? Yeah, sure, but, but, but that's would you not believe always, that? I yeah. mean, yeah, you I can say one thing in marketing yeah. and then the truth yeah. is something else entirely. I, I tend to think it was their plan all along. I think, mm-hmm. you know, this, it's. I have friends who, even reading the books, like early on, were like really turned off because of something the things that the women went through. And I'm like, you, you've read chapter one of a book that's a thousand pages, and that's five books that's a thousand pages. So don't you can't judge the whole story based mm-hmm. on that. And I think honestly that this has kind of been the 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 plan and the arc. The, it's a long arc, and there's a lot of crap at the beginning of that arc. But I think at a certain point. You know that's going to turn the corner, and and maybe we're starting to see it with Sansa now. You know, having look, a night I just that's I just want a spinoff book for Daenerys. She's going to go where she headed now to to hang out with all of the, the widows. Yeah, yeah, with all the widows, and I want them to make a book. Uh, I've already got the title. It's called uh, the First Dothraki Wives Club. The real just, widows of Vice Dothrak. We'll just let that sit for a second. Just yeah, soak that up, <laughs> listeners. Um, uh, yeah, I, I like bro, Brothraki, Brothraki, by the way, and yeah. I also think that that scene overall, it was a funny scene. Like the, I mean, not the not the brutal, right. uh, you know, conversation, but when they're in the um, the tent, and he uh, asked what's and, better, and discussing what's better. Like yeah. you know, one of the best five. Things oh, that was hilarious. To, yeah, 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 that was a great. Great little moments, um, and I love I love things like that where you know she knows what they're saying the whole time, yeah. and, and you can see she's not doing it, but she's kind of rolling her eyes internally. So it gives you that sense of her having more power than she might appear to have in that scene because she knows what's going mm-hmm. on and she knows who she is. And I thought that was really cool. Well, speaking of more power, do we think Melisandre has more power or is losing her power? What's 
what do we think is ahead for Melisandre? Because that is such a big reveal, and we've already seen recently her prophecies have not been spot on. She saw uh, Jon Snow uh, fighting, I believe, against the White Walkers. Was that it? Um, and then we also have, of course, um, Stannis, and that things didn't end up so well for him. Well, that we know of. Yeah, I think he's out of the picture. I All think right. he's dead, dead. Right. But but what does that mean? Do we think the, she's uh, having a crisis of faith? I think because exactly for the reasons you said, like that these she backed the wrong horse at least mm-hmm. once, and then the things she's seeing don't seem to be coming true. Um, and I think that was part of her revealing herself that way. Is is at the end is kind of you know this powerful image that she puts forward is really not who she is and. Mm-hmm. I think I mean I think it's all going to turn around because I still think that either she or some other servant of the Red God is going to be the person to bring Jon Snow back from the dead and uh that will in some way, you know, renew her her faith. But um for now, yeah, I think it's very much her her whole worldview has been shattered. Mm-hmm. And all these things that she did of of Killing and killing children and sacrifice and all that stuff is kind of just not fun. Nothing. It's just not fun anymore. I know. It's like yeah, ch- yeah child sacrifice is lost. All the joy all its at a kid murder. The magic is literally gone. <laughs> yeah, it's just the uh, well. One theory that that was posed about this show moving forward is that uh, for this season, and I I, I kind of dig this that. One thing they need to do to be able to keep audiences engaged and keep things kind of fresh is almost shift the tone and give us hope instill us with some hope because then of course they can rip it away again but we've come to expect constant death and disappointment on this show that maybe hope is is going to be the the carrot they they hold a new out a new bit. a new hope are you saying no i'm not saying uh, that at all <laughs> <laughs> no I, I mean i do think there's a tone of that though i mean like look at how successful star wars was and that was a really like mostly other than like add death a pretty positive everyone yeah. running around like we're gonna do this and succeeding more than not, and I think people have responded to that culturally. And so, yeah, I think maybe Game of Thrones is going to key into that a little bit if they're smart. Well, until they, you know, kill everybody. Until if they everybody value their dies. continued existence. Uh, but that's what I think the that's an interesting point though, because I think that you know that's what people look for out of Star Wars. What people look for out of I mean, the brutality and the high stakes of Game of Thrones is one of the things that's made it so popular. Yeah, but people like a dark thing from Batman, and yet Batman v Superman, a lot of people were like, tired of this darkness, man. Mm -hmm. Can we take a break from this grim, dark barf? So, Cher, are you now in? (laughs) Are you going to... We're following you. Are you going to keep up with season six now, or are you... Yeah, I'm going to keep up with it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, heading into this next episode, uh, I'm looking forward to it because this is going to be the rise of Bran. Bran is going to be sort of having his Jedi training moment. and uh, That has aged him 20 years, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Keep uh, going. He's going to be raising Bran. uh, Boom. Oh, God. Uh, uh, Well, also Bran is um, apparently, he has said, the actor has said that Bran is sort of like Doctor Who. Doctor Who training is taking place because he's going to be able to sort of see through time and uh, and gain those powers. And and you know what? That reminds me. Let's talk Doctor Who. It's Doctor Who time. Doctor Who. Uh, Danny, why don't you set up the recent Doctor Who news? Uh, so there's a new companion. Uh, she's played by Pearl Mackey, mm-hmm. uh, who is mostly a, a theater performer, primarily, uh, as far as I can tell. And... Uh, She's a black lady, and we haven't had a black companion since Martha Jones, which would make her only the second ever uh, black female companion that the show has ever had. Uh, As a 
companion? Am I missing I think, somebody? I thought I said, or it's a third black female character that's been on the show. Oh well, um, I mean, like as a as a as a full time companion. Yeah, this is the no. only second um, black uh, female companion yeah. that I can. And also maybe uh, a real rarity, someone which we haven't had someone seemingly potentially not from the present day could be. Where do you think she's from? The uh, it's going to be I think anywhere between the mid eighties to early nineties. Yeah. Uh, and I only think that because of the way that she's dressed, but uh, as far as the specific time period. But he says to her in this uh, like two-minute mini-episode that they use to introduce her, he says, we've got to get back to the future, 2017. Now, maybe that's a wink to us because we are not in 2017 yet, but it does, based on her very excited expression, suggest that she is not from that time period. That would be interesting as well because we haven't, yeah, we haven't seen someone that was not. I love the idea of uh, maybe not having all of the modern technology as an automatic understanding necessarily, because I feel like some science fiction can really be ruined by like social media and cell phones and stuff. Or you know, the doctor gives uh, an update to the technology that people have. He doesn't give them brand new technology. He updates Rose's phone. He updates Martha's phone. I want uh, Pearl Mackey's character, whose name is Bill, to have like a giant Zach Morris phone that she uses. I think that would be something that'll never happen, but yeah, it'd be funny. That would be a visual gag that would last for one episode, perhaps. But, it would satisfy but, me, and the show is obviously not for me. I know you guys have different levels of uh, interest in this show, but um, Clara uh, Oswald was our, our last companion. Did you like her, and what were you sort of hoping for this new companion? I did like Clara. Uh, I thought the way her story ended was really cool. I mean, I kind of got... Not dead yet. Not dead yet, exactly. Not quite dead. Um, but, I mean, she certainly wasn't my favorite of the modern Who companions, which I will always be a Rose fan from here until the end of time. But um, I thought she did a great job. I, I don't know what I was really looking for. I, I have to admit, I'm not... I mean, there's so much we don't know yet about Bill and where she comes from and what, how she is as a character... I wasn't particularly thrilled with what I saw in the two-minute little thing. I mean, I know it's kind of just an introductory thing, but it was very much back to this thing of, of I have no idea what's going on, and I have to have explained to me what a Dalek is in, in really specific terms. And, you know, it's like serving as an exposition engine almost, and that doesn't really excite me that much. Right, but you're, you an, have... you're an old fan. Yeah. <laughs> and the true. thing is, every time they bring in a new companion, it's a new jumping-on point for young people to start all over again. So they do that at least for one episode. Or maybe they're using this two-and-a-half-minute thing to cheat that a little bit so they don't have to do it quite so much. I thought it was actually a great reveal for this character. It was far more than we should really expect as far oh, as sure. a casting sure. announcement. I mean, it's not the fact that they put something out. Yeah. It's just more my concern of, of that element of, like, are we going to have to hear everything explained over again to this character who's never encountered any of it? Um, I mean, that was one of the things that I, I liked about Clara is I felt like she, like, dived in. Oh, that's know. the thing I but, didn't like about her. Yeah, though. that's the big criticism about I Clara know. is that she was so much of a know-it-all. I'm a rebel. She was the the uh, doctor surrogate instead of the fan surrogate. So many people liked Donna Noble, I think, in part because even though she was very loud-mouthed, she wasn't always smart. She got things wrong a lot. Yeah. You know, she was the best uh, temp in Chiswick, but that isn't saying a lot about, you know, being... A, you're not a genius if you're the best temp in Chiswick, so... She does definitely... Pearl seems to have... Or Bill seems to have this very Donna-esque... 
It, uh, I, I think what people have said, and I think it is right, is a cross between Donna and uh, Ace from the classic series, which mm-hmm. I would love because I love, I love Ace. Ace. Pro Ace. Share. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Your Doctor okay. Who fandom runs deep. It yeah. does. No. Um, um, there isn't a, a Doctor Who fandom, but I mean, I understand the importance of this casting. I saw that a lot of um, blurs out in the geekosphere were really happy to see a woman of color being cast in the show and it's making them now want to catch up in the show and get back invested in it. So I think from that standpoint, you know, that's great if it's going to reinvest people in a property that they used to be into and got disenchanted with for whatever reason, you know, that's a great thing. And I, from what I understand, they also have a little bit of a woman problem on Doctor Who too. Like they haven't had a lot of women writers in the past 10 years or so. Right? It's, we're like eight years. It's yeah. been a while. Very, very recently. Yeah. This last season they had. They did have. They they've, they've brought in women directors. Now yeah. they had a women writer in the last. So, I mean, it seems like they're, the last couple seasons are kind of, you know, moving in a more progressive direction, which is good for female fans and for people of color that are fans of science fiction and out of this franchise. So. I think this, this character has a lot of heavy lifting to do as well, or, or a lot of pressure anyhow, because... It, we, as we expect, or as we we think is going to happen, Peter Capaldi is going to be leaving after the tenth season. I think and, almost certainly. And yeah. so, bringing in this new companion to transition into likely a new Doctor. Do you think this is going to be a long-term companion, or is this going to be sort of one-off? Uh, and then seeing, I think that uh, if you pick somebody that's relatively unknown, you contract them for at least two to three years. Mm-hmm. Um, if they had brought in a big name then that person would most certainly have been around for a year. Although Karen Gillan and um, and Arthur Darvill, they came onto the show with Matt Smith. It was a new doctor and a new companion at once. Um, so it's not unheard of for them no, to do a not. But I think clean if sweep. You, if you bring in somebody that is truly brand new, because the thing is, like, that precedes what? Donna Noble, Catherine Tate, who was a huge name in Britain at the time when she came in and said, sure, I'll do this for a year. So I think it made sense that she left after a year because why would she stick around? She's got a lot of other things that she is doing actively. And uh, Pearl Mackey is young. She does a lot of stage work, but certainly doing some TV stuff, even if it takes up, let's say, nine months of your time, doesn't preclude your ability to do a short run of a thing. And again, she's not hugely known. So I would think they probably signed her at least for two seasons. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be really interesting, too, also that this is a companion who they've selected specifically to interact with Capaldi. You know, uh, Clara was a was a legacy, and I think they they were fine chemistry wise on screen. But you know, hopefully this time around they they really kind of laid into what how is this person going to click with Peter Capaldi? I think it looks very interesting. I think what's nice is they're just in the brief interaction. Uh, it's sort of known that Peter Capaldi does not have an interest in romance. And what's nice is that this character is sort of coming in as a character that does not have to have romance, whereas Clara had in a, had sort of a built-in romance with the 11th Doctor, an interest in him. And it doesn't seem as though they're trying to set up, in that two and a half minutes anyway, something between uh, Bill. Yeah, and, and they had to they had to shut down the, the, ro- the romance of... Capaldi's doctor and Clara fairly quickly, which after that, and after yet they it, to me, it, it felt like occasionally they would sort of hint the fact that she still yeah. digs him, though. And I like the idea of, of finally moving away from that. Again, this sort of lends to a similarity with Donna, mm-hmm. uh, who never had a thing for the doctor, and they sort of made a point of that. I don't know. I'm into it, and I like the idea. Um, to your point, Adam, that yeah, that sh- this will be someone cr- specifically for 
uh, Capaldi's doctor, mm-hmm. but you never know. I mean, uh, Perry from the classic series was uh, specifically brought in and was with Peter Davison, and that was all nice and well and good, and yet I really liked when, uh, uh, perhaps controverse, controversy here, uh, I like that Colin, Colin Baker becomes a doctor and uh, strangles her. <laughs> it's so bizarre. You, It's really all bets are off, so I'm into it. We shall see next year. Um, so tune in, and uh, we'll talk about this again in 2017, I imagine. <laughs> uh, and finally, let's talk about, uh, you know, this, yes, certainly it's noteworthy that we're getting a person of color onto the TARDIS. I think that's great. But flip side of that is sort of this topic of whitewashing in Hollywood, and specifically in genre material. Cher, why don't you set this topic up? Um, well, the big thing right now is uh, the alleged whitewashing in Doctor Strange uh, for the Ancient One, which there may or may not have been happening, but I think part of the issue is uh, a lot of the track record with some other Marvel characters that are leading up to the announcement of Tilda playing this character. So I don't know. I, I mean, I've read a couple different viewpoints. I understand the mentality and I understand where people are coming from with it, but I also understand some of the argument that's made about the character itself in the comics, which apparently the source material has a Tibetan magician plays the ancient one. And because of the fact that it's Tibet and China is not a fan of Tibet, obviously we know, um, they claim that's one of the reasons why um, they changed the character. But I I don't know why it would have to be a white woman playing a male Asian character. Well, let me stop you there just for a moment because the – I mean I think the topic itself is sort of larger than just Marvel because yeah. at the same time as uh, this – the Marvel Doctor Strange trailer comes out, we also had the first look of uh, Scarlett Johansson in The Ghost in the Shell. And, of course, that is a a Japanese character in a Japanese-set story – and, I mean that's and blatant it's, and 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 it's, and it's sort of a, a different thing. But although very interestingly, uh, is it is it? And obviously, it sort of depends on who you ask. I mean, I think it is. But with they, the but, Scarlett Johansson, but they movie? but they yeah. very specifically went and spoke with people in Japan and were like, "What do you guys think about this?" And they were like, "Well, you know, a lot of the cartoon characters we draw, um, we draw them to look foreign." So it's not really a big deal, which yeah. is not to say that this is everybody in Japan, but there are a lot of absolute, like when you put them Johnny on the spot and say, what do you think about this? A lot of uh, men and women on the street are saying, um, this is not as big an issue for us. Well, and, and even the creator, We find white people yeah. fascinating, so. Yeah, the creators the, weighed in on this, right, Adam? That's right, yeah, and I think he said that he didn't, he say they drew the character to look more Caucasian or something like that. I can't remember exactly what he said, but it, it basically amounted to the, a lot of the same thing that Danny's saying, which is that. They didn't. He didn't really have a problem with it. They entirely expected it, in fact, yeah. because their take on it was: we want it's already big in Japan, and we want this property to be big in the world. And in order to do that, you know, having a Caucasian, you know, uh, character or actor makes sense. Now that underlies like another problem with it, as far as you know, if if you're not pushing for change, does change ever really happen? But um, but I, I want to go back to the Marvel thing really quickly because that is a problematic history. If, you, if you're adapting things straight from the comic books, you have the Mar- Mandarin, which is a, a horribly racist stereotype. You have the Ancient One, which is a horribly racist stereotype. And, yes, there's the Tibetan issue as well. Um, 
and or you have what the character of Fu Manchu or even Ming the Merciless. It, are those, all of those get into really tricky uh, territory. So and you see, how do we of, adapt them without falling right. into those traps? And it's know. also, I mean, I'm sorry, no, go ahead, but please. there's also the, a lot of issue people have with the Iron Fist. The fact that like here's this you know Caucasian white man that's a, a kung fu master or like a super ninja, right. and it's kind of almost like a reverse whitewashing in a way. It's like they couldn't make that character in the comics be an Asian superhero. Back like then, why? Yeah. Right, like right. why did he have to be a Caucasian white hero? You know. So I, I get. I, I mean, a, a lot of the source material is old. It's from decades ago. It was a different time then, and I understand that. But at the same time, it's like it, you can adapt stuff, and you can still include minorities. And Asians are the least represented in media out of all minority groups um, as far as race goes. And you can cast them. They do exist. There are Asian actors. There's no reason you can't cast them. So right. Don't... But we're, we're, we're so busy with like the black, white, man, women argument. It's like Asian people are like, hey, what about us? And we're like, not now. Mommy and dad right. are fighting, you know. It's Which like... is like, then that's, that's when you really need to, the people that are not Asian that have to support Asian actors and speak up for them. And I think a great example is The Expanse. Like The Expanse just cast um, a really big part for season two. They're part of um, Billy, and she's a Polynesian woman, and they went out of their way. Bobby. I'm sorry, Bobby. I'm thinking of what's the companion. Um, but uh, they went out of their way to find a Polynesian woman, and they, they were very upfront with, like, listen, this was not an easy task, but they made it. That was their priority. And I think as creators, there is responsibility, and you should leverage your, your ability to do what you can to get what you need from that part. And I think that making it a priority that you're casting an Asian person or a person of color, that has to be the top priority. It's interesting, though, because I I don't think that, I mean, from a studio standpoint, you know, and I don't think anyone would be as crass as to come out and say it within the studio system, but that's not their top priority. Their top priority is making money. They want these movies to make a ton of money. And so do you do that with a lesser known uh, actor in the in the lead role in Ghost in the Shell, or do you do it with Scarlett Johansson? Right. You know, I mean, I think that that's and Max Landis put out a video along these lines, and, and a lot of people had a really strong reaction to that. Ben Landis, think, wasn't it? Ben no, Landis? it was Max. No, Max Landis, yeah. was it Max? Yeah, and I think oh, I mean yeah, that's sorry. it's it's my ben, my Max and Ben are all confused right now. Yeah, sorry. It's hard ahead. because his tone is very you know he's got this abrasive tone and, and like I know what I'm talking about and you people don't know anything about Hollywood and that sucked. But I think there was a kernel there of of truth, which is that. The studio's biggest concern is making as much money as humanly possible. And that's not that's unfortunate. It would be better if they could like say, you know what, we're willing to take a hit a little bit if it means that we can better serve, you know, a more progressive society, but that's not the reality of of, of Hollywood, you know. Well and no. part of it too is like I'm so sorry. No. That's part fine. of it too is um allegedly there's been some strong accusations that the the Asian market, specifically China, which is a huge market for any movie is a little they they would rather see a whiter cast and that's part of the reason when we saw Star Wars they had two different posters come out for The Force Awakens and the ones for overseas you know you saw Finn was further back you know and and supposedly the reason being is because that's kind of what flies with their audiences I don't know how true and valid that is right and look here's the the other thing about that is that I think to put the focus on China is to pass the buck yeah and I think that if we're looking at things over a course of time uh, I think what we did 
um, not thinking about it as uh, both the film industry and the television industry, and I think even just uh, the book market too, is they created and forged uh, forward with specialized markets. That's sort of the friendly euphemism that they use, which just boils down to separate but equal. Um, you know what I mean? Because the thing is, like, if you look, when you don't you remember when you were a kid, there were black people on TV, right? Like on major network television yeah, yeah. shows. Norman Lear. And then for like a, whole a bunch of shows. and then for a really long time, they went bye bye. They got moved away. They were on BET and they were on like uh, what TBS, right, or TNT? TBS. Yeah, uh, and uh, and the UPN when they started, they were like the Black People Network. It was like, uh, oh, what were the shows? They had like Sister Sister and Moesha and Homeboys from Outer Space and uh, uh, the, the Secret Diaries of Desmond Pfeiffer. Anyway, I don't know why I know all those uh, shows from when UPN got started, but the point is that we did. We sort of created this specialized market thing, and the the problem with that is that all of a sudden it means that like the main market is white people, and we're spending the most money on white people because that's where the money seems to be because white people have more money statistically and that's messed up yeah it yeah i mean the i mean you said i I just want to pick up on the talking about china is to pass the buck i i don't entirely agree with that because i think the the screenwriter for dr strange had a really excellent point that if you want to with the ancient one in particular if you want to portray the ancient one as tibetan well you've just lost all the you know that entire Chinese um, audience. Well, know? they won't show and, the movie, and they won't show the movie. Yeah. And uh, and what are you going to do? You can't really cast a Japanese person as a as the Chinese ancient one. You know that's tricky in of itself. I, and Marvel, some people have said that this is kind of a load of BS, but I don't know. They, I mean, it's kind of true that. In this characterization, this version, this iteration of the of the ancient one is Celtic. Uh, I don't know. It's a tricky, tricky situation. I don't know that there's one um, solution to it. But yeah, but if you say like, well, guys, I mean, like China can't do anything about it. Just China. I'm not saying that China doesn't play a factor. It's just that I think if you go. Well, it's China, guys. I mean, don't look at us. It's, but that's a huge. Guys over there. That's China. a huge movie market for them. I'm not denying it. But, but that's and that plays into the point that this isn't art. You know, yeah. this is people making a product that they're hoping will make a ton of money. And uh, we, I, I, yeah, I'd love it if it was more artistic and they gave more thought to these social issues. But from their standpoint, that's their their goal is to make the most money possible on this product. So in that sense, you can. I mean, how can you ignore that element of it? Well, and I think with like with Iron Fist's uh, Finn Jones, correct? That was cast as yes. Danny Rand. I think that w- that was an opportunity where they certainly could have cast a an Asian actor mm-hmm. instead of having uh, you know a a kung fu problem of having a a white guy suddenly know all these martial arts. However, that's not whitewashing. That's 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 maybe perhaps a missed opportunity, but it's not whitewashing. Um, you know, Cher, you you mentioned that uh, some people say that Marvel has a track record of this. Do they? I mean, do, is this actually a track record of? Are you? Do you think that they have a track record of whitewashing? I think that after the Mandarin, that character was just every way you look at it, a no. <laughs> you know? Oh, see, that was I was so that was just that was a hugely. I loved how they did the Mandarin on screen. I did too. But I understand because it's not. Well, if you've seen, have you seen the short with? Uh, yeah. Where it's not really the Mandarin. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. there is an actual Mandarin, and for all we know. Right, I, I've totally know. seen that, but I under, but I, I also understand 
like playing devil's advocate, I understand the other side of the fence, you know? Sure. And I think for us being four Caucasians talking about this, it's easy for us to be like, well, is it? But it's because we don't, we're not Asians, you know, we're not Asian American. Like we don't, we're not the least represented, you know? Okay. But, but what, okay. So do they have a whitewashing problem though? I don't know if whitewashing is the right. Yeah, word. I don't think they have a whitewashing problem. I certainly think, I think they there's an have inclusion a, issue, a representation yeah. problem, mm-hmm. and that doing missing. I think to share his point, it's like missing opportunities to correct that. Yeah, you know, because you can look it back and say, okay, at the time that a lot of these were published, I mean, that's what was in media in general. That there wasn't representation as a whole, so you know, they're they're already drawing from material that was made in a certain societal context, but. I think, you know, as Cher said, missed opportunity. I think it's the perfect explanation for it. Like, you, you, when you have the opportunity to correct that or to not make it worse by casting a white person in a role that was originally Asian, then maybe you should do that as opposed to kind of falling back on, on the same thing again. Plus, I mean, we all know, like, comic books, just even in the comics, like, they're changing storylines and origin stories all the time in their own books, you know? We have multiple universes that exist and all different storylines, and so it's like, you can totally do that in the movies. You can oh, change no, I mean, anything you want. I don't disagree you know? with that. I think it's certainly something that can be done, and I think that there are opportunities to do it. You yeah. know, like, as I said, with Danny Rand, I think that that was a missed opportunity. I just think um, there's always going to be an excuse. You, every time, like with Doctor Strange, it's like, well, it's Tibet, guys. I mean, like, I Tibet, mean, China. I, I will say that the, Tibet, the Tibet thing, like, not to, like, dismiss but there, that completely. But there's always going to be... Something, but it's gonna that, go. But we're gonna lose right. some money, guys, because that's it, right? That's it what really we're talking is. It's about. It's about money. At the it's end about of the money. So, to me, if you, I mean, if you don't want to call it whitewashing, don't call it whitewashing. But it's a big problem, and it's got at some point you've got to be willing to give. That's like you know, it's like uh, saying no. Let's just keep having nothing but big corporations and never give small businesses the chance to flourish. That's a big problem too. I mean, like you can't just go like, yeah, but if we let go of these. Big corporations, if we just let them keep going, then, you know, at least there's jobs. Yeah, I get it. I get it. There's going to be some consequences. There's going to be some money lost in the short term. But if you look at television as a prime example, they, I think, have very successfully been transitioning towards having a much more racially diverse and, I think, LGBT diverse group of actors, performers, writers, producers uh, on American television. And it served them very well. TV's in a golden age, and it is in no small part due to the fact that we have different faces uh, both in front of and behind the camera. And I think uh, that Hollywood has got a lot of catching up to do. I, and, and I agree with that. I mean, I have a um, friends that are I have, uh, friends that are Asian American that are involved in these big franchise uh, projects, and they certainly are upset, rightfully so, by a lot of the things going on. I think what is interesting is. If anyone would have the opportunity to forge ahead and take a chance, it it could easily be the Marvels, the the Disney, the Warner Brothers. They could uh, plant a flag in this and like really take a chance, not even a chance, but really stake some ground on this and say, okay, we're gonna, uh, yes, we're gonna do this. But at the end of the day, I mean, they are able to, you know, they it, they're. In the business of making money. But Let a perfect ask. example, I'm so sorry. Perfect example, though, I'm going to like, forget, is The Jungle Book. They're, the lead is a young Muslim boy, right? And that is 
killing everything in the box office the past couple of weeks. Like yep. it's making great money, and it's a fantastic movie from what I've heard. I haven't seen it yet. But and for Force Awakens, I already proved exactly. it in 2015. So it's didn't like, it? and they've got they've we've got and they got uh, the China got some, market. Yep, and we've got yeah, an Asian actor is going to be in episode eight. Correct. I'm not making a thing up. Not, yeah. So yeah, it, so it's I mean, like that excuse is getting a whatever weak. it can be yeah. done. But let like, me let me ask this question, and this is something that uh, I can't remember the screenwriter's name from Doctor Strange, C. Robert Cargo. Cargo, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's talking about, and we kind of touched on this earlier about how much of a minefield the Ancient One is from a standpoint of the fact that the original character was very much a Asian stereotype, and what makes me think about that is when you look at Daredevil season two, because a lot of criticism that I've seen for the second half of Daredevil Season 2 has been leveled at the fact, oh, sure, every Asian person on the show is a ninja, you know, or belongs to the hand or whatever. And, you know, that has been a very, very pointed uh, criticism of that show. So I tend to think, and I, you know, I wish that they had cast the the Ancient One as an Asian character. I I, I think it was a mistake not to. But I also kind of think that if they did, they would get criticism for that as well so it's kind of, I, I kind of see the point of it being a minefield based on what I'm seeing coming out of Daredevil oh I don't deny the minefield situation but it's also I mean that's uh, losing the forest for the trees like I mean yeah if you want to talk about just Doctor Strange yeah it's a minefield yeah no matter what they did they were going to get burned but that's one that's literally one thing well it is certainly a big topic, and we want to get your input on it. Not on just this, but all of the topics we talked about today. So, wherever you're listening to this podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever it may be, review us, leave a rating, say hi, and also head to Blaster.com and check out all of our great content and our video content over there. And also, we ask you to reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of those channels. So this is Who Won the Week, and before we wrap things up, you guys tell the folks at home, where can they catch up with you? Sorry, I had a sneeze. <laughs> at the Shareness on Twitter. And this is Adam Swiderski. You can find me at Rock the Faces on Twitter. Uh, this is Danny Roth. You can find me on Twitter and now Instagram, but just a bunch of cat photos, really, uh, at Danny Ordinary. All right. Does your cat have an Instagram yet? Uh, no, he's, I mean, like, his Instagram is my Instagram. Okay. We okay. share a gram. I share a gram. Okay. And I'm Aaron Sagers, and you can say hello to me at Aaron Sagers on Twitter and Instagram. And this is Who Won the Week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.